Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and baseless opinion. Today is January 19th, 2015. I am Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator on the same podcast, Jake English. You can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com with, hey, a fresh, new, sexy look. Ooh. Ooh. You can also find us on Baltimore Sports Reports. You should also be checking out Baltimore Sports Today, which is an excellent daily podcast hosted by Zach Wilt and Jebby Burns, along with regular guests in terms of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. She'll also be checking us out on Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and I suppose that Apple Eye product uh, known as iTunes, I, I guess. Uh, you should also be following us on social media on Facebook and also on Twitter at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And with that, Jake, let's go no further. Let's go into the drink of the week. My drink of the week, very classy this week. Ah, yes, of course. I'm going with an Old Vine Zinfandel. Oh. A deep red. Lovely. Straight out of a box. To be fair, it is a 2012, so at least it had some age as opposed to the, you know, six-month-old wine. So, is that is that the age of the box or the age of the wine? That's a good question, actually. But to be fair, certain box wines have a certain proclivity for being all right. I will give Boda a... Meh, slightly above average. I'll take meh from you. Yeah. What are you drinking? Jake, I am drinking a Wirebach barley wine named Blithering Idiot, which is apropos for who I'm dealing with tonight. You hang out with enough Blithering Idiots, uh, myself included. You, yes. You should at least drink it. And the, for those that want to find out what we are drinking on a daily, weekly, nightly business, you should be following us on Untapped. Um, we post pretty much all the time to Twitter. You can find Jake at Jake. E4025, and you can follow myself at MAGN8606. Hey, I figured out how to turn off the badges. Oh, congratulations. So, Jake, with that, I think it's time we uh, we delve into the twat. This week on the Twitters, you know, it, it is an interesting week on the Twitters, but I think that we should go no further than the man of the hour, Dan Duquette. This goes into the well-do-you category. This comes from at Dan Duquette and says, do you have a 2015 blueprint? Well, Dan, do you have a 2015 blueprint? Because if you do, it'd be nice to know right now. I feel like this account has to be run by his handlers, and this is the worst tweet. This is like, if we did a worst tweet of 2015, this would be a candidate hands down. I like to think that this is being run by the Nantucket Baseball Foundation up there or either the Israeli Baseball League that he founded. All righty. All right, next one is, this is one of our tweets of the year so far, and Jerry McGuthrie gets it. At Real J Guts posts, what if I told you that a catch is not a catch? At ESPN 3030. Well done, Jeremy Guthrie. Of course, this is in reference to the Des Bryant catch that was overturned, and uh, the 
resulting full muck sword on Twitter of saying, oh my gosh, what is going on? What was that word you just full used? Full muck sword. <laughs> All right, moving on. Our next tweet is from none other than Jim Palmer, who tweets at Jim22Palmer. The tweet is as follows. Feeling domestic. Thanks for the oven gloves. Eck 43, which is Dennis Eckersley. Dennis Eckersley. The only person he tweets at or to or from. Yes. Um, and it's a picture of, of Jim Palmer looking at a cookbook, uh, wearing the of glove and holding it very jauntily against very his face. Very jauntily with a uh, powdered blue polo shirt with a pop collar. Look, let's just say this is the pose of a man who knows his way around an underwear ad. That is a man that definitely knows his way around an underwear ad. So Jim Palmer is learning Twitter. We all can rejoice in the world. Um, jokes that have been right up Scott's alley this week comes from Parks and Recreation, who is in its last season. And um, this comes from a, a post from Fear the Fin. Um, they're actually hockey Twitter. Hockey. Hockey. Yes, that's the one with the horses and the croquet balls. And No, no, I think it's the one they play in the pool. Isn't with the horses, right? No, no, no. They play in the pool. They, they throw a ball. Yeah, with the horses. So the horses are treading along in the water and they try to get the ball into the net. It's a polo joke, everybody. Move yeah. on. So anyway... It's this picture, and it's this uh, law firm that has shown up on Parks and Recreation before. And it's the law firm of F. Ward, Dips, Windshares, Grit, Babbitt, Picota, Vorp, and Eckstein. Bravo. Nice. Bravo, Parks and Recreation. Even Jake gets that. Although Windshares is a quite antiquated thing, so that must be the uh, senior partner in that law firm. <laughs> All right. Next, and I believe lastly on Twat this week, we have a tweet from – oh, no, not lastly. We have a we, uh, tweet from Bud Norris, who is – quickly gaining favor in favorite Oriole status. And and I think this is reflected. Uh, the Orioles Uncensored podcast did a uh, did a bracket style, who's your favorite, who's your favorite Oriole? Oriole? And, and Bud Norris was way up there. It's another picture that we're going to describe to you, which is perfect for a perfect podcast. Perfect for a podcast. Uh, but Bud Norris's tweet is as follows. Look what Hall of Fame jersey I just bought at the MLB Players Trust golf tournament. Keeping it in Birdland. Hashtag Birdland. And it's a picture of Bud Norris standing there with none other than Hall of Famer Eddie Murray in his number 33 Orioles jersey. Dude, Bud Norris gets it. Bud Norris, is bored. Bud Norris has to know how to market himself. So. And, and I know that we can be easily bought, but uh, I'm buying in. You, yeah. you, got, you are earning my love, Bud Norris. You cr- grab that crotch and buy that jersey. Although, to be fair, I'm not really sure how I feel about Eddie Murray, who had issues with tax evasion and stuff like that. Being in a gambling casino. All right, Scotty, it's time for us to call you out. Okay. Poor behavior on Twitter this week. I don't know what you're talking about. I I, I was a perfect gentleman as normal. Read the twat. Okay, so this was a tweet by me. I'm Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. And this was after the announcement that uh, WBL Radio was no longer going to have Orioles games and that CBS Radio on 105.7 The Fan would become the new flagship. And I posted... This deal better not preclude us from the Mars ad readings by Tom Davis and Dave Johnson. Get at Steve Johnson on the phone to confirm. Steve Johnson responded to us, and everyone should be following him, at sjohnson831, and says, I don't get told anything, but I have my own deal to worry about. Ha ha. Ha 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 ha, Scotty. Ha 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 ha. All I'm saying is, Steve, if the uh, minor league uh, deal doesn't come through, um, I guess you've got a job reading Mars ads? Way to piss off Steve Johnson, Scotty. Way to piss off Steve Johnson. You just scratched that off the list of prospective uh, interviewers here at Bird's Eye View. Eh, we'll see about that. We'll see if he still has a job come next year. <laughs> um, 
But, you know, speaking about people that have new opportunities, there is a plethora of opportunities now that the Orioles have switched over from AM to FM. We decided to go out and get someone to talk to us about this grand opportunity on FM radio. Let's go talk to him. Take out the papers and the trash. The Orioles announced on Monday that they have signed a multi-year deal with CBS Radio on WJZ FM 105.7 The Fan to become the club's flagship radio station. And the station will be broadcasting all 162 regular season games and select spring training games, as well as all the pre-game and post-game shows. We decided to go find a true figurehead from CBS Radio to discuss the makings of the deal and the intricate business dealings behind the operation. Intelligently, they allowed us to interview Jeremy Kahn, whose lack of insight and baseless opinion is the perfect complement to this show's mission statement. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Um, so we start off every single interview that we go off with with the most important question. Um, and it's my question that me I ask for Jake every single time is, what's your drink of the week? My drink of the week? Yeah. Uh, well, for me, for me, it's always uh, Jameson. That's, that's my go-to. You know, I... I'm a whiskey drinker, which I kind of have like a, a whiskey voice right now, but that would definitely be my, my drink of the week. Uh, I take it straight up. I take it neat uh, on the rocks, however I can get it. So. Now, if you if you had a choice of taking up straight up or going on the rocks, which one do you prefer? Well, I mean, I don't mind taking the shots. I don't want my Jameson chilled with, with shots, but if I'm going to sit there and sip, I'll, I'll take it on the rocks and uh, keep it cool. And the more watered down it gets, the easier it goes down. So what do you think about like, the, I, what, what do you think about like the stone well, rocks that the people put on there? Are those acceptable or. I think that's fine. I, I mean, I don't have an issue with it. I, I I'm pretty basic and simple as, as long as uh, free is the best thing. But, free is uh, a good as long thing. As it's, it's whiskey. I'm good to go. Yeah. Me and J- Jake are very big on the gin and tonic. So we are uh, very familiar with, you know, you know, keep it old and keep it nice and simple as well. So, um, Let's yeah. go into the big announcement that was made last Monday. The Orioles announced that they were going to go back to 105.7. Um, what does the Orioles coming back mean for you, and do you expect any changes to your show in the upcoming year? Um, I, I don't know. I don't think changes necessarily. The, the one thing it does for our show specifically is it's, um, you know, obviously there'll be more listeners, people checking out the games, and as, as you know, as good as this team can be and, and as better as I think they're going to be next year, uh, even with some of the losses they had, um, you know, it, it, it brings fans in and it gives us an opportunity to appeal maybe to some new people. Uh, as far as the Orioles go and the announcement coming on our airwaves, uh, every once in a while it'll give me a day off, you know, with an afternoon game. That's a good but point. I just, I love having them there. I, you know, my growing up, I didn't, I grew up without a football team. Uh, the Orioles were always there going to Memorial Stadium, going to Camden Yards. It didn't matter. Um, it was always, it's just, I, I'd rather go to a baseball game than any other sporting event. Um, and, and I think it's great. And I love the fact that now we have easier access to some of the players, get a chance to talk to them and interview them probably on a weekly basis, uh, all, all the way from Buck to upper management to uh, some of the coaches and, and minor league players as well. Yeah, I mean, Jeremy, you and I, I were basically born in the same generation. And I remember there was one time as a kid, I was like seven years old and I was downstairs in my basement. And of course, there's no drywall. I'm just sitting there with a TV in front of me, a little seven inch television. I'm watching a Philadelphia Eagles game. And my dad comes down and basically lambasts me for watching the Eagles. And I said, Dad, I just want to watch football. And he says, we don't watch football in here. We don't have a football team anymore. So I can completely understand where you're coming from, where, you know, for only for a long time for our generation, it was the Orioles or nothing. 
Um, and it's good to have, you know, two teams now with both the Orioles and the Ravens, um, both being competitive and uh, winning in this town. So, um, again, yeah, I mean, there's no question about that. The fact that, you know, I, I think as a fan, all you can ask for is a team that um, gives you something to root for in the postseason. Like, you know, winning championships. Yeah, everybody wants to do that. And people said they'd sell their soul or I'd trade 10 losing seasons for that one that one Super Bowl or that one World Series, which, you know, most people's mind is true, but nothing's uh, nothing's definitely given to you. You have to earn it. And, you know, the only way to win that World Series slash Super Bowl, whatever, is to get in the postseason. And when you have competitive teams, you have somebody to root for. Like this year, I mean, just real quick on the Ravens, this year the Ravens weren't a great team, but they got in the postseason. And, damn, man, they, they, they were a couple plays away from being an AFC championship, and who knows what could have happened this past weekend. Totally so, true, yep. They're um, really good with deflated balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's – God, I, I said it today on our show, yeah, just to touch on the NFL. And, you know, even with the, the Patriots, maybe they're not doing anything, but there always has to be something surrounding them, and, and it makes you question everything about them. But, um, yeah, that was an ugly game. The game before with Seattle was just insane. Uh, everything that had to go right for the Seahawks did. And, and, of course, now we have a Super Bowl. I call it the Super Bowl from hell because I refuse to root for Pom Pom Pete, and I'm not going to root for the hoodie. Well, it's just not going to happen. Well, fortunately, it's baseball season now for us here at Bird's Eye View. So we're going to go on and just kind of focus on the Orioles offseason since it has been so eventful so far this offseason. Um, well, actually, completely against that. It's actually been painfully quiet. Um, with the Ravens now out and, you know, with baseball talks starting to slowly creep up, what do sports talkers discuss at this time of the year when it comes to baseball? And should they really be talking about it at this time? Or, you know, should we still be focusing on the Ravens and, you know, looking at college some, basketball college basketball with the Terps? Or, or, you know, when does baseball season actually start in terms of sports radio? Well, on our show, because Scott and I are both baseball guys, um, you know, and I guess if you compare it to show by show on our station, you, you have a couple guys that maybe you wouldn't consider, you know, generally baseball guys where we'll talk a year round. I mean, I, I love a lot of hot stove talking about what free agent you think they should get, who they should go after, although this off season's been a whole lot of nothing um, as far as free agency goes. A couple of Rule 5 players and some other minor leaguers. Hey, Wesley Wright's in there, that, okay. That, what's that? I said Wesley Wright's in there. Oh, yeah. Well, good call. I mean, you got another left-hander in there. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, I mean, when you look at it, it's it's definitely not what fans hope for, you know. And people don't want, want to hear me say it, although I, I do believe it. You know, you lost Nelson Cruz, Andrew Miller, Nick Marcakis. Uh, if you go out and, and look at it, you know, in the postseason, you didn't have Chris Davis, Matt Weeders, or Manny Machado. Now, I know it's easier said than done, and we all hope they're going to add somebody whether it's via the trade or, um, you know, maybe you look in free agency. I was told they offered Colby Rasmus $6.5 million and his agent somehow came back with twelve. I didn't know $12 million was a going rate for a guy that could barely hit two twenty. But um, <laughs> I guess that you can ask for whatever you want. But, you know, we talk about stuff like that constantly. And, and of course, you know, the Dan Duquette stuff's been hot for uh, a couple weeks now, and we've been discussing that. But everybody has an idea of the direction they want the Orioles to go in. Um, I was a big – I wanted to see Aoki. I like the on-base percentage. I like the defense. I think you could use somebody like that at the top of the lineup. Um, but, you know, and some other people prefer power. But I, I'm just wondering who's going to be the leadoff hitter for the Orioles this year as Nick Markakis is going. Well, kind of going off of that topic, you know, we just were talking about Kobe Rasmus. Um, you know, Kobe Rasmus, you had brought up the average aspect where, you know, his average is absolutely terrible and he's a high strikeout uh, batter out there. 
But offensively, actually, if you look at some of his more you know advanced statistics in terms of extra base hits, he's actually pretty decent. And there's been a lot of movement over the past few years into saber metrics, and it's becoming a lot more mainstream since the Moneyball movie came out. And you know, uh, you know, Brad Pitt starring as uh, you know a beautiful you know GM out there, which I've never seen a GM in baseball look like Brad Pitt. Um, yeah, Billy Bean's made it look better. Yeah, I, I guess so. I, I can't imagine what Dan Duquette's going to look like in the next Moneyball 2.0. But, um, you know, these new age statistics. John Lovitz is going to play him. Oh, okay. that, that's a good one, actually. <laughs> that would be good. Um, I, I can't wait to see who plays Buck. But, again, um, the, all these new age statistics are out there. You know, you've got like FIP and BABIP and WOBA. You know, they're referenced by a lot of people. But in sports media, are, are those something that you guys would actually ever cling to? Or is it the demographics that you have, like, that are people tied to, like, Bob from Parkville? Can you ever actually bring those kind of statistics into the equation with your, your demographic and audience? I think some of the stuff is, um, I, you know, I don't have a problem with, with sabermetrics or sabermetricians, if that's what you want to call them. I don't go as far as being totally on board like Brian Kenny is and try to compare everything and, and say that that's, you know, that's the law. This is how it goes. I see this. This yeah, statistic it's, matters. It's because you're not nearly I mean, as war- pompous as Brian Kenny, but please continue. No, but like, you know, war, I, I think there's some value there to looking at some of the statistics. And, you know, Colby Rasmus, if you brought him in, he's not bad defensively. Uh, he, you got a power left-handed bat. Um, you're only going to want to pitch him against right-handers, and maybe the numbers don't look that bad. And situationally, I, I trust Buck to use him. I just think $12 million for him is absolutely absurd. I, I kind of think six and a half is absurd. But, you know, when you start breaking down some of the numbers, I, I think they do apply. Um, I, I was glad about Moneyball and, and that whole process and looking at on-base percentage where – you know, you get on base, you have a chance to score. It changes the way the pitcher pitches. You know, you know, pitching from the 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 stretch instead of the wind up. And and if you get a guy that's pesky on the base pass, maybe you're in his head. And he's thinking too much about you. Um, I, I think a lot of that goes in. And and with the Orioles and the so-called Oriole way that we've had, you know, uh, three run homers are nice, and you can't do it without anybody on base. Sure. Now, uh, Scott here asked you a question about sabermetricians, which is what he does here. My role in the show is really just to spew emotion and, and frankly, BS all over the podcast. He's like Bob from Parkville, so continue, Jake. <laughs> so, uh, but I had a question for you. You know, uh, I love Scott Garceau. Everybody loves Scott Garceau, and, and, and rightly so. But I think a lot of people really consider you to be the linchpin of that afternoon show uh, with your ability to, to kind of bring a lighter side to the show, uh, bring some character, bring some personality um, against a co-host who's just, you know, an icon of the sports industry here in Baltimore. My, my question to you is what role should, you know, entertainment and comedy and all things like that serve in sports journalism and the media in general? Well, you know, it, it's kind of a sticky situation. I do get, I get hate mail for, hey, you're trying to do too much shtick or, try, you know, I want to hear sports. I don't want to hear your comedy bits. And I get that. There, there's plenty of people like it. But my whole thing is, if I, if I gave you a topic as simple as, you know, who's the greatest shortstop of all time? And man, let's just take two modern day guys. And we talked about Cal and Derek Jeter. And, you know, anybody could sit down and give you an opinion. Anybody could. And we could do that for an hour, two hours, four hours, whatever, and just break it down. And you got to have facts that back up those things. So I, I think all that plays in. But to do it over and over and over again and kind of beat that horse, I think it's, I think it's a little strenuous at times, but also, you know, for, for people out there listening, it gets redundant. And, you know, I like to make it light. I like to make people laugh and keep them on their heels and, and try to make it funny. And um, the one thing a lot of people don't know about Garceau is Garceau's, he is, he's one of the funniest people yeah. off the air. And some of it, some of it comes over the airwaves. I didn't, you know, I produced his and Anita show and I hosted my own show in the evening when it first started out, I was actually doing split shifts. 
and I didn't feel like his personality came out enough. And now you hear him, yep. you know, he'll tell a joke. He'll tell some of his old stories. I mean, my, my favorites, and there's some great ones that he can't tell on air about Big Debbie. And I just, I, I think, you know, when you're a little bit more personable, I like, I like treating, I like treating my show like it's just a couple of guys sitting at the end of the bar talking. And not to be so cliche, but you know, we'll, we'll throw out a movie reference, or we'll try to make each other laugh, or. You know, we'll argue, and, and when you argue you, uh, and, and you get off the air, you can laugh about it. You know, it doesn't have to carry over, and it doesn't have to sound like you hate each other, and uh, that's what I like to do. You know, I, I just, in my background and, and the way I got in the radio is, is absolutely crazy. It, it, I, in college, I was a math and theater major. I've always been like a TV, movie, music buff, and, uh, you know, watch stuff all the time, and, um you know, and when sports came in, I actually feel like I know more about movies and music than I do about sports. But I like intertwining it because I do. I think it's guy talk. And you know, it's funny. You guys, the first question you asked me is, "What's your drink of the week?" You know, I love people love talking about that. I think it tells you a lot about the person. And you know, um, I think it's kind of a way to kind of you know get to know people out there. And, and I know it sounds kind of you know corny and like I say cliche, but you know, when people can endear themselves to you, like, hey, that, that's what I drink, or that's what I do, and, oh, I know that movie quote, and, and you get a text, you kind of, you kind of uh, create, like, um, you engage your audience a little bit more, at least, that's my opinion, and that's the type of audience I want, I don't, I don't need people that are, um, I don't want to say need, that's the wrong word, but you don't necessarily need to have people who, you know, it has to be this way, you can't do it, I mean, I get a lot of grief for my fandom, and everybody knows I'm a, I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan, and nothing's going to change, um, but I believe you, know, you mean we, we pay, pay. getting arguments over it. So, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, it, it's not just about an audience, but it's also kind of building that community. And you guys have regular callers within your show and stuff like that. Again, that establishes the culture and stuff like that. Again, people are expecting certain people to call in. But again, you and Scott do such a great job. And you're absolutely right. Scott was very sheltered for many years and you have really brought him out. Um, maybe not so much in your terms of your character, but again, he's played an excellent straight man to you in terms yeah. of being what he needs to be for yeah. that show. So you guys uh, work very well with each other. Um, and again, I'd like to, you know, say congratulations again. You know, we're always about the aspect of, you know, having a discussion and, you know, getting some comedy going on here. So uh, along that similar comedy line, Jeremy, you may not be aware of this, but we've got our connections as well. Um, and we were able to obtain a copy of the contract between CBS and the Orioles for this media deal. And in Section 8, Paragraph D, Subsection 3, the Orioles actually agreed to allow you, Jeremy Kahn, to make one decision to the Orioles organization that could not be vetoed by ownership. So with such great power, what one change are you going to make for the Orioles at this time? One change I would make to the Orioles? Um well, I, d- I definitely w- want to see a- another outfielder added to this team. I'm just trying to think of something that would change the team. Because if Eric Bedard was here, I'd just <laughs> kick his ass out personally. Um, you know, you I, can I kick actually, his ass out of wherever he is. Assembled. If I could say this, the one thing I would love to see is I'd love to see them lock up Davis or Weeders long-term after after the season. Now, granted, if Davis has another subpar season – um, then maybe you're looking at a different price. I think Weeders is probably priced out, but I'd love to see him lock up one of those two guys. You know, when when you see the Nats, who apparently don't have as much mass and money as we have, speaking of when I say we, I mean the Orioles, uh, go out and drop $210 on Max Scherzer, and now they've got six starters that, you know, any team would kill for, um, then that, that kind of, you know, draws your higher a bit. But that's the one thing. I'd love to see him lock up one of these other guys long-term um, because there's no other big free agents out there that I'd love to make a splash with. 
All right. Hey, we, we like that. Uh, you mentioned it a little bit earlier. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about Dan Duquette because, frankly, that's the only thing that the Orioles have allowed us to talk about. Dan Duquette, do you think he stays or do you think he goes? He goes. I, I think he's, without a shadow of a doubt, he's 100% gone. And, um, you know, the people I've talked to, there's been this has been going on since before Thanksgiving. Um, there are a lot of people that are upset that feel like the Marcakis thing was kind of botched. Uh, and, you know, I know behind the scenes, you've heard some people kind of report on it. Rosenthal mentioned it. I think Buster Olney said something to the degree that behind the scenes things are kind of ugly. Um, so when, when you look at, you know, maybe there's maybe there's some turmoil between the powers that be. Uh, the good news for the Orioles is that they have Duquette locked up. So, I mean, they can actually get some serious value back in return for him. Um, but I think he's gone, and I think I think it could happen as soon as this weekend. Uh, from what I've been told, Buck and Peter Angelus are meeting tomorrow, or should be Wednesday. Uh, they typically have meetings when he comes back and down. He's been out traveling, um, and some of this is going to uh, kind of apply to Dan Duquette. What should they do if he does leave? What are their um, what are their options to replace him? Does Buck take over? Do they find an interim GM? I mean, let's be honest. There's still a lot that has to be decided regarding this team moving forward. Arbitration's just been done, but you know, what other arms are they going to have? It, you know, you're going to allow Dan Duquette to make trades for you at this point until you figured out whether you're keeping him or letting him go. Um, everything I've been told, it points to him leaving, and I believe it could be sooner rather than later. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. As far as I'm concerned, I think that you know, a lot of people have said. Is Dan Duquette's 100% focus really on improving the Orioles at this point? Forget tampering. Forget, you know, nefarious plans by Dan Duquette, because I don't buy any of that crap. But even if he's distracted by this, even if there are whispers of, is Dan Duquette really 100% for the Orioles? I think that means he's got to go. You know, think about if you were an agent dealing with the Orioles and you're wondering, Am I going to be able to get a better deal with the next guy? You know, forget Dan Duquette. Am I going to be able to get a better deal with whoever's next? I think that that damages the Orioles. And I think that even the implication of all that stuff means that Dan Duquette's got to go. Even at a business standpoint, you know, when I've gone and done business dealings, when I know someone is already going to be leaving or going out the door, it's very difficult to even progress and propose ideas to them. So I definitely think that's a, a an issue. Um, but I would like to get away from Dan Duquette and kind of, you know, go to another topic. Um, and, and that's one that's a little bit more, I think, dear to all of our hearts and kind of raising awareness. And, and Jeremy, you've used your platform on the radio to raise awareness to various causes. But one of the causes that you've raised money for and awareness to is to, towards multiple sclerosis after your wife's diagnosis. And I just wanted to give you some time and opportunity to tell us a bit about the foundations that you're working with at this time and events that you might be having coming up while you're working with them. Because I think it's important that we raise a recognition to you know the good deeds that you're doing out there, but also things that we can do as a community to help support everything that's going on. Yeah, I've been working closely um, with the National MS Society, and my my wife was diagnosed uh, at the end of last year, I believe. Or we kind of I don't say we knew going into it, but we were going through all these tests. And and the day that I got the the gig with Garceau on 105.7, um, I, you know, I've been working hard in this business, trying to get a, a drive time slot and we were going to go out and celebrate at Della Rose's here in the Avenue. And, and we had this party on St. Patty's day. And that same day, my wife went in the hospital and she had some issues with her vision and they ran all these tests and they've been running tests on her for two and a half years. They couldn't figure out what it was. And they said, signs point to MS, but nowadays in medicine, they're so scared to diagnose people. Um, eventually she went back and had a brain MRI. She has one every six months and, 
they told us that uh, they found a lesion on her brain, which uh, led them to believe she had MS, and they fully diagnosed her. Now, she's been on medicine, and uh, we actually, actually just had another MRI like a week and a half ago, and things are really good. So, you know, um, we're really excited about the fact that the medicine's working, and uh, with, with the National MS Society, you know, 20 years ago, they had no medicines and, and stuff like this. Uh, the Copaxone she takes, although it's, it's an injection she takes three times a week, and it's painful, um, you know, that little bee sting that she gets is, is a lot better than some of the side effects she could be having without it. So I, I try to do as much as I can. I, I speak at their, um, their, they have walks to raise money, raise awareness, um, for the MS society. And my wife's really big on this bike ride. So it's bike MS and you know, she writes a email out to her family and friends. And I write something every year and try to post it push it through social media, push it on the airwaves. Obviously, we want to raise money, but the more and more people learn about it um, and the neurological disorder and, and how it can affect your lives. And I, I hate using bad analogies, but uh, I'm sure one of you guys have done this. You know, you, you go to a car lot and you see a car and it's like, uh, I'll use myself as an example. I bought a Jeep. I bought a yellow Jeep, which now that I'm looking back at it, it's probably a horrible idea. But I was saying, well, nobody has a yellow Jeep and I'll be damned if I didn't drive off the lot. And I saw three yellow Jeeps as soon as I drive off the lot. Um, it's kind of the same thing when you find out, you know, different things in your life, like, you know, and I know it's a, like I said, a horrible analogy, but my wife was diagnosed. Uh, I coach a lot of kids in basketball and football and for the kids that I coach, their mom, their dad, their aunt, uh, you know, a relative, a teacher, someone has MS. And, you know, when I wrote the first article about my wife or the first blog about my wife, I got contacted by all these people. Uh, some I didn't know, some I did, saying how much it meant to me or meant to them that, you know, I was talking about it and how much my words mean. And, you know, it's as humbling as it is to be on the radio and have somebody that tell you they're a fan. Um, it's it, it's 10 times more humbling when you affect somebody personally and, um, you know, and, and, and help them push along. And, and my wife, she's been, she first started out, she was scared. She leaned on some people. And then now she's got, she's a nurse at Hopkins. She's got other nurses and other people that lean on her. So. Um, you know, it's everything. It's it's bigger than the disease. You know, the stuff that you uh, you can do and, and how you can affect people. So, and not the ramble. I'm sorry. I talk for a living, and that's what I do. But uh, you know, this um, this cause means a lot to me, and I, I try to do as much as I can to, to, like I said, raise money and awareness. Well, Jeremy, it, it means a lot to a lot more people than you. Uh, obviously, we wish the best for your life, but or for your wife. But just as you indicated, there's so many more people out there affected by MS. And uh, we can't stress enough how much we support your efforts just to get that message out there, to, to support the efforts of organizations that are out there to, uh, to, to work on solutions for MS. Like you indicated, you know, medicine has come so far in so little time, and uh, we absolutely want to make sure that we are able to, to you know, support that in any way possible. Every event you come across, you make sure you email about us. We will we will make sure that all three of our listeners hear about it because uh, the, no, that's great, man. No, I appreciate. It. Look, yeah, you never know. I mean, even if even if it were true that you had three listeners, one of them may be affected by it, and you know, and they have three more listeners. And uh, you know, if, if I'm gonna, I told you I like movies. You know, there's a pretty subpar movie called Pay It Forward with uh, Haley Joel Osment, who turned out to be a really creepy looking dude later he does, in life. Yeah. But, <laughs> You know, but I mean, the fact is, you know, you help out three people and then they help out three more. You never know. Like, and it's kind of interesting. I tweeted out uh, the link to, to my wife's page a while back. I'll probably do it about 10 more times before her bike ride in June. And I got one person tweet out and all of a sudden we get a donation from somebody. We have no idea who it is, you yep. know, and 
it's it's pretty cool. And and uh, the fact that people are out there listening, and sometimes all it takes is a little little push of a button to retweet something or to share it on Facebook or hell, if you're still on MySpace, you know, to send it out all all your friends. But um, I am I'm totally humbled by some of the things we've seen. And and one of the coolest moments for me, my life broke down. It was our first bike ride last year. And of the hundreds of people that were riding in bike MS, uh, there were eight that were diagnosed with MS. So most people were riding for someone else, but there were eight people that rode that have MS, and my, they wanted to take a picture with everybody. And my wife got, like, overly emotional and kind of broke down, but it was like a it's like a good cry, you know. So um, anything that anybody's willing to do, any help is always appreciated. Well, like I said, if anyone's looking for a great, you know, charity to go and support, go and donate money to the National Multiple Sclerosis Foundation. Um, the Maryland chapter is does amazing things with events throughout the community. They're a great organization to support. And, you know, if you want to go out there and, you know, see Jeremy Kahn, maybe get on a bike and, you know, ride some training wheels, it's a good opportunity as well. <laughs> yeah, well, I, my wife's been pushing me to do the bike ride with her, and it does sound like a total cop-out. I have I have a uh, extremely bad back, and my biggest fear is that I'm the guy whose back locks up on him about 12 miles into the race, and one of these bikers has to come pick me up and, and give me a lift back, and here I am, you know, riding tandem with someone. That, that uh, would be a pretty embarrassing story, yeah. Yeah, but the thing is, Jeremy, that makes great radio. Really really <laughs> yeah. embarrassing at the time, but great radio afterward. Yeah, I've, I've already done enough embarrassing stuff uh, <laughs> on the radio. Uh, that There's pictures that'll last a lifetime, and, and some of them I'm trying to forget. All right, we're going to end this interview. He said, she said. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we're going to end this interview with one final question, and it's our doozy question. Um, Jeremy, Beatles or the Rolling Stones? I'm a Stones guy. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, I always joke. I give my one friend, my one friend's the biggest Beatles fan, and I always tell him, man, it's the greatest boy band of all time. There and you go, Jake. So we, we always argue and go back and forth, but uh, yeah, the Stones, uh, give me some brown sugar and you know, a little street fight, man, and I'm good to go. Jeremy, I was such a big fan of you, and I, and I use the past tense uh, based, based strictly upon your last answer. It, it's not that you're wrong. No, it's exactly that. It's exactly that you're wrong. I, I have nothing else to tell you. Well, Jeremy, I, no, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, look, I like the Beatles just as much as everyone else, and they were probably more influ influential. But if you were asking me who I'd rather sit down and listen to, it's the Stones all day, every day. It's, no, it's not that I judge you. No, no, that's it. That's it. That's it. Scott, Scotty, I'm, <laughs> so I'm like, I, I always say, I always say, you know, uh, the, the joke was about, um, I, I think I said it about Nick Swisher. I said, you know, I, just, I, I don't know what it is. I don't like him. I, I'm pretty sure it's his face. Yeah, that's it. That's exactly it. I hate his face. You know, I, 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 there's just some things you, you don't have to accept in life. And me, me choosing the stones over the Beatles, that can be yours. That's fine. That's perfectly acceptable. Your decision and Nick Swisher's face. I, I think they, they fall right in line. I like that. Yes. Well, like I said, Jeremy, we appreciate you coming on to Bird's Eye View and, you know, having a conversation. And hopefully you had a little fun with us tonight. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll catch up with you again once baseball season starts. And uh, like I said, maybe we can even get you on right before June, too, so we can talk about the MS uh, bike ride as well. Anytime, guys. Just give me a shout and uh, I'll make myself available. Not a problem.
You know, when we first heard rumblings of Dan Duquette's possible departure, we, we didn't think that the story had legs. It appears, however, that the story since then has grown legs and has started sprinting towards Toronto. The story has been discussed from every angle on local sports talk, water coolers, and I'm sure, in the warehouse. One perspective, however, that has been underrepresented in the discussion is that from the Blue Jays' side of things. For that, we turn to Blue Jays Plus, a Blue Jays blog and podcast whose mission sounds very much like our own. The tagline is as follows, The name says plus, but we strive for solid average. Staff writer Greg Wisniewski joins us to round out the Dan Duquette saga. Greg, thanks for joining us on Bird's Eye View. Greetings from north of the border. (laughs) All right, this is usually the time we rag on Canada, but out of respect for you, sir, we're going to throw all that out the window because we have important questions for you tonight. We left them at customs. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Uh, I hope I have some important sounding answers. (laughs) That's all we need. If not, we'll make them sound really good. Yeah, just uh, EQ them and edit until I sound intelligent and we're good to go. All right. Uh, Here in Baltimore, the news is all focused on Dan Duquette. It's all Dan Duquette all the time. The local media hasn't reported much on any other names that might have been considered for the Jays' CEO position. Um, Original speculation included uh, Dan Duquette as well as Ken uh, Ken Williams from the White Sox. Um, In the Toronto area, has the media or has the fan base, is there any insight on any other candidates or is it really the fact that Dan Duquette is now the sole target for this job? I would say that the story in Toronto, uh, as far as who's coming in, has has become Dan Duquette, Dan Duquette, Dan Duquette, Dan Duquette. Um, the the real, I think, thing that the media here has picked on is actually the guy who's going to leave uh, if Dan Duquette is in fact the guy that that Toronto wants to be the baseball president because Paul Beeston uh, is a legend in Toronto sports. Uh, he was the first employee who ever worked for the Blue Jays. Um, he has been a fixture around Toronto and in baseball for 37, going on 38 years now. So um, he's just simply built up a whole bunch of goodwill with a certain generation of fans. So the first question that everybody has asking is, well, you know, what the heck happened to Paul Beeston? What's wrong with Paul all of a sudden? Um, especially because it doesn't appear that Paul is at all involved in this process to replace him. Uh, he wasn't aware of it. it. It sounds like he's he's on the outside looking in. So nobody nobody could figure out who decided that Dan Duquette was – that Paul Beeston was not the guy, and then who decided that immediately after that that the two guys at first were Kenny Williams and, and, and Mr. Duquette. And then uh, – I think Kenny Williams got removed from the list because um, Jerry Reinstorf cried foul instantly. And Peter Angelos on our side didn't cry foul immediately and kind of let this thing embroil and never say anything until, you know, a little bit further into the process, which has allowed national media pundits to speculate and allow this process to continue, especially going into the winter meetings as well, which I think was, was interesting. Um, one of the things that is really interesting to me is, um, you know, Dan Duquette is being given consideration to the position that Beeston has filled for such a long time now. Um, but do you expect him to fill a similar role to Beeston, or are you really seeing him take over more of just baseball operations and not so much with Rogers Media? Everything that, that has been talked about from the incoming end of things um, has been that Rogers is not looking to add anybody to this 
management structure, that they are literally looking to replace Beeston, which has raised a bunch of eyebrows among people I've talked to on Twitter um, and, and among some of the people who, who write about the team is, that, no offense to Dan Duquette, but he's primarily known as a baseball guy, and this is not a baseball position that he's filling per se. It's a, it's an operational position. It, it is, if you look at Paul Beeston's job description, it says, handling the day-to-day operations of the team and of the actual Roger Center, which is a year-round convertible garbage bag of a venue. Um, but it is not a baseball position, and it sounds like the Blue Jays are chasing a baseball guy to fill it for some reason. Nobody can figure out why. That, that's the most interesting part of this whole thing to me is because Dan Duquette, though we love him, you know, Dan Duquette has done great things for us. You know, the Orioles were terrible forever. Uh, Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter show up and suddenly it's three winning seasons after, you know, so long of not. But the thing is, is that Dan Duquette was out in the wilderness for 10 years. He was out of baseball, you know, running an Israeli baseball league or something. And then suddenly he comes back to the major leagues. And now after only three years of, of running baseball operations in Baltimore, um, you know, he's being considered for a job that, that sounds like it's so much more. That, that just seems weird to me. Um, and that, that's not to, it's not a rag on Dan Duquette. It's just, it, it seems like an odd, um, move for a guy that really doesn't have a, a ton of recent resume beyond these three years. Um, especially because, you know, the Orioles don't have a defined role similar to that of Beeston. Um, so, there's no real connection between what he's done here and what the Blue Jays, it sounds like, wants him to do. And, and we are, to be fair, just as, as uh, confused on this side of things from the incoming side. Exactly what you said. Now, for some insight as to, I guess, as to why that's happening. Um, first of all, I have to go back to Rogers as a, as a corporate entity, which... Um, it's no Comcast, but in Canada, basically Rogers is is Comcast. Everywhere you look, uh, there is there is something being peddled by Rogers in the communications industry. And it, instead of baseball being the big ticket or or football, of course, hockey is the big ticket. So Rogers hockey, recently, hockey. Wait a minute, is that the one that they play on horseback, or is that the one they play in the pool? I always get this uh, wrong. That's the one with the thing that can that you put things on your feet that can just slice the other guy's neck if he falls down, sure. uh, and then you cut the sides off of a ball and you let it freeze and you hit it at people. It sounds weird, but continue. I'm continue, sorry to interrupt. Yes. Um, so Rogers just split with the other largest media company in Canada, a huge $5 billion purchase uh, for hockey rights. And they've been riding uh, with their new uh, CEO, Keith Pelly, who was brought over from uh, Britain just to run the company. Um, this new sort of whole model of doing business where they're really selling not just the channels, which is what Rogers used to sell and cell phones, but they're also selling the program. That's a real long story tried to make real, real short. What it means for the Blue Jays, we're still not sure because we haven't got a full season with the new guy at Rogers in charge of the Blue Jays. But Rogers was started by one gentleman who passed away seven years ago now, and his son is still involved with the company. But every time management changes around, the son, Ted, uh, Edward, keeps getting pushed around but never pushed out of the company. And there's a lot of suspicion that it was actually Edward Rogers, who has no direct connection to the Blue Jays, is the one who's sort of been making these phone calls to Jerry Reinsdorf and 
to uh, the Baltimore Orioles or Pierre Angelos or whomever. Um, and that it's almost like he's, he's banking to put his mark somewhere back in the company, um, but he's doing it without any real official structure behind it, which is why Reinsdorf got so angry about the whole thing. But that's all kind of conjecture. Nobody knows who exactly made all these phone calls in the first place. Is that messy enough for you? That's very messy. We like messy things around here. I, I got to be honest. It's really comforting to me that the Orioles are not the only really dysfunctional organization in baseball. That that really does help me, especially in the same division. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and in the division with the Yankees and, and Boston in it, you you need a little dysfunction going around. I'm I'm sorry, the ancient Yankees and the last place Red Sox. You got that wrong. Right. <laughs> I apologize. All right, so let me ask this question. Um, you know. Back in the day, John Farrell, of course, lost the Toronto Blue Jays. He went to the Boston Red Sox, um, and there was a compensation worked out. My question to you is, if the Orioles were somehow to let Dan Duquette go and the Blue Jays were to take him and give some kind of compensation, who would be our Mike Avilas? <laughs> um, I was reading this today, uh, and, and the last thing I heard was it, it's going to be a if it is a compensation, it's going to be a minor leaguer or two, yeah. as opposed to um, a, a major league. Would you like Munenori Kawasaki? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I, I think what it comes down to is is whatever the return is. Just like we were expecting a lot more than Mike Avilas for John Farrell, I yes. think you're going to find that whatever the return is is negligible at best. Oh, I, I totally agree with you about that. It's just there's never been a situation quite like this, even with Farrell. You know, the contract situation wasn't the way it was. And even with Epstein, the contract situation, it wasn't where it was. I don't think, I don't know where it's going to happen, what's going to happen with it. But it's actually interesting, too, given consideration to if you go back and take a look at even the discussion between the Rays and the Cubs this year. Um, and there was discussions of possible tampering along those lines when Madden was acquired, too. Um, and there was discussions of whether to be penalties for the uh, for the Cubs for interfering, or whether the Cubs would actually have to send a player back. I wonder, to a certain extent, if uh, Duquette has remained quiet on this to a certain regard, not so much because he is you know waiting to hear back from the Blue Jays, or whether he has had legal aspects told to him of saying you need to keep your mouth shut because currently we're investigating the tampering of you know your contract at this time. Um, if such, it'd be interesting to see if the Blue Jays were to gee hit by Major League Baseball. I highly doubt that based on, well, Major League Baseball doesn't do anything. Um, but it would be an interesting precedent to set for Major League Baseball, especially given it's an ownership relationship. It, I haven't heard that brought up yet, and but it makes an interesting point. I, I think everything is a little different than the Madden situation and the Farrell situation, especially because uh, it is an executive yes. as opposed to a, a, an on-field employee Correct. which changed so it's he's not covered by the some of the stipulations in the in the cba to my understanding it, they're, they're treated differently because they're you know that is correct they're, yeah if you it's look the wild west if you look at the cba for the tampering aspect there really is no mention of front office personnel so technically you can go out and you know scalp anyone from scouting or anybody like that that you so please um it, there's definitely nothing covered there but it would be an interesting thing from major league baseball to weigh in on but you're right in the CBA, there is nothing that says this is forbidden. <laughs> well, here you go. That's CBA. <laughs> yes, exactly. That's CBA. Of course, there's no really real written description of what a bulk is either, but that's another topic as well. 
I used to be an umpire. Everything's a balk. Everything's a balk. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> what, whatever I say is a balk. Yes, is exactly. A balk. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, let me uh, let me let me do this for you. We all love to put on the the tinfoil hats and and uh, you know play conspiracy theory. It's one of the things that I feel like Baltimore Orioles fans are best at. It's our finest skill. So let me let me lay a little bit on you and get some reaction from you. Uh, as you may or may not know, uh, the Orioles are in somewhat of a dispute with Major League Baseball and their closest neighbor, the Nationals, for whom they own a uh, majority stake of the uh, the television rights for the Washington Club. And that uh, that arrangement is not going well. Uh, the Nationals would like to renegotiate. The Orioles would like to hold on to the uh, agreement that was that was made in 2005. And so some people are, are, are feeling that Major League Baseball is um, using as many other sticks as they can to affect the Masson um, negotiations. One example is that the uh, Orioles were listed as a very, very strong candidate, according to the uh, the Commissioner of Baseball, to host the 2016 All-Star Game, which was then awarded to uh, San Diego, even though it was out of cycle for the National League. And the 2018 game has now been awarded or is about to be awarded to the Washington Nationals. It would not surprise me in the slightest if the 2017 game, which is supposed to be held by an AL Park, went to another American League team that hasn't hosted the All-Star Game in quite some time, the Toronto Blue Jays, just to wave the middle finger at Peter Angelos. Does, it, does that hold any water for you, or is that total conspiracy theory? Um, I I think you're on to the, the conspiracy as far as, as them getting the very short end of the stick uh on the All-Star Game, I don't think at this point Major League Baseball would dare give the game to the facility in Toronto as it sits right now. I think, the, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I agree with you, and, and I hope, I hope you can, you can see my tongue uh, firmly planted in my cheek. But it is interesting that Major League Baseball seems to be going to bat uh, so much for the Toronto Dan Duquette situation. Uh, I know there's a tweet from uh, Buster Olney today saying, you know, rival GMs are starting to wonder why. There's so much attention from Major League Baseball coming into this situation. That being said, John Morosi also posted tonight as well, saying Major League Baseball is currently not in negotiations between the Blue Jays and the Orioles regarding the Dan Duquette situation. So there is mixed messages throughout this whole proceeding, just like this whole interview has been full of mixed messages. (laughs) (laughs) So with that, I think we have gained an immense amount of clarity on the situation. Wouldn't you agree, gentlemen? Oh, absolutely. We know <laughs> a thousand percent more than we knew uh, before. You know, it, uh, it's certainly a thousand percent of zero. Yes, exactly. Is, uh, it's certainly no more screwed up than before we started talking, right? I, I really I didn't seek to bring clarity as much as I sought to bring comfort. OK, that's good. That's what we're here. That's what we looked for in this is just to be able to, you know, stroke our backs a little bit and say it's going to be OK. It's going to be OK. It won't hurt that badly. Just, you know, take it like a man. Look, we're we're really good criers at this point. Yes. If you survived Orioles baseball as long as we have, there's no shame in crying, even in Are baseball. Are you talking to a man who watches the team with the longest playoff drought in professional sports and talking to me about crying? It's true. Are you really doing that? The, the hat has switched, Jake. I got I got to tell you, Greg, you, you're putting such a friendly face on uh, on a division rival. This is really messing with me because this whole – uh, situation uh, between the Orioles and the, and the Blue Jays has really made me look forward to Orioles opening home opener on uh, April 10th against the Blue Jays. Going to be a lot of fun. And hey, you know, all things aside, maybe this opens up a, a you know a bit of a rivalry between two teams that could, quite frankly, uh, use a little juice in the, uh, in the in the organization. 
there have been a, a few sort of rumblings, um, uh, usually with Jose Bautista uh, at the middle of something. With the, was it Pedro Stroke? I think it was uh, I think it was Darren O'Day actually. Was it O'Day? And, yeah, and, yeah, that was good fun. Yeah, that was a little more of that. Yeah, it was good fun. My biggest history was I think it was back in the 2013 season when uh, well some of your fans got a little rowdy and started throwing bottles onto the field at Nate McLeod. We apologize. <laughs> you you owe him. People get go to the home opener, and because it's a nice high deck and indoors, they throw away paper airplanes down like every year. You, you you owe Scott no apology. We we are no better behaved in the stadium. I, I dem- promise. You. I demand apologies for beer bottles being thrown to a man with such nice hair. Just throw it, at, you know, Del- <laughs> throw at Delman Young. I have no issues with that. He deserves bottles thrown at him, but don't throw them at Nate McLeod. <laughs> I'll, I'll put out a bulletin. Okay, that's fine. I, I fully advocate, Bird's Eye View fully advocates you throwing beer bottles at Del Mignon. <laughs> well, <laughs> legit? Okay. Yes. <laughs> well, Greg Wisniewski, thank you so much for joining us. Again, it's Blue Jays Plus, and when the Blue Jays come to town before every series against our rivals to the north, please go to Blue Jays Plus and check out their blog, check out the podcast. Greg, you can do a much better job of plugging this than I can. Please tell everybody where they can find you. Uh, so it is bluejaysplus.com, or you can find us on Twitter at, at bluejaysplus. Um, if you really just like the sound of, of me and the things I say, I'm at coolhead2010, um, but all of our writers have Twitter handles. You can find that on the uh, on the main page. Uh, we talk uh, a lot of statistics. We do some mechanical breakdowns. Uh, one of our guys is a, a mechanical uh, expert, if you will. Um, I talk. I usually break down one at bat a week in season that was particularly interesting or funky with some gifts. So we do do things a little different. It's not just game summaries and that. We try and mix it up, and we try and keep a regular podcast going too. And we should probably have you guys on to talk about the Orioles before the season starts. Well, that's a terrible idea, but we accept. Yes, I will. Okay. I, will I will come on, and uh, I will let you know that the Blue Jays will win the American League East this this season. <laughs> I've heard that before. <laughs> well, Greg, thank you so much for your time, and again, good luck to the Blue Jays. Just not quite as much good luck as we have and for that that i think that's the best we can do i understand guys love your team except when we're playing all right Well, Scott, a lot of good conversations tonight, and you can tell it's a good conversation when you and I don't do most of the talking, but with that, I think it's time for us to wrap up this episode. It's time for us to blow the save, and if I'm not mistaken, you've got a doozy for us. I've got a pretty decent one. So, Jake, Saturday night, Major League Baseball quietly announced that Fred Wilpon would be named the new chairman of the Major League Baseball Finance Committee. Most of you at this time would raise a, uh, who cares? Allow me to uh, educate you. Wilpon was the majority owner of the Mets who allegedly lost about $700 million in the largest Ponzi scheme in American history. The second time he was embroiled in a massive Ponzi scheme and was nearly forced to sell a team three years ago and is still on uncertain financial footing. What makes Manfred's decision so bizarre is that Fred Fred Wilpon admits to not being the sharpest tool in the shed when it comes to financing. In fact, Wilpon's entire defense case in the trial um, brought against uh, the trustee Ivan Pickard was based on his ignorance of how the convicted Bernie Madoff oversaw his investment as well as his role in team finances. His entire defense was based on the ignorance of his own team's finances. Woof. 
The trustee, Irving Picard, also alleged at the time that the Wilpons had enriched themselves over many years of profitable investing, even impacting the S&P 500 by 6 to 8%, while ignoring repeated warnings that Madoff was fudging the numbers, was fabricating false quarterly and annually statements that showed huge fictitious gains and balances, and even internal complaints from their own employees that he was committing fraud. In addition to the millions lost in the Madoff affair, the Wilpons are currently buried waist deep in nearly three quarters of a million dollars in debt. That's three quarters of a billion dollars in debt between the team and the SNY network, which broadcasts the team's games. A huge portion of that debt, a reported $600 million, is actually due in June of this year. Good luck with that. The MLB Players Association has recently opened an investigation into the Mets, looking into financial inconsistencies regarding the off-season workouts being held at the team's complex in Port St. Lucie. A team consultant is leasing space and charging players who participate in these, aka voluntary training regimens, a fee ranging between $1,000 to $4,000 at this time. Yeah, well, that seems legit. Yeah. For those that uh, feel like this is not really getting close to home, let me uh, bring it back closer to home into Baltimore. Um, the Masson arbitration case, there were three members on that arbitration case that was overseen by Major League Baseball. Pirates President Frank Connolly, Ray's owner Stuart Sternberg, and Mets CEO Fred Wilpon. What? Yeah. And of course, the new commissioner of baseball, who named Fred Wilpon chairman of the MLB Financial Committee, assisted heavily, um, alleged in the Orioles' legal documents at least, in the selection process for this arbitration panel and in assisting in the decision-making process. With the recent issues regarding the All-Star Game Awards to San Diego in 2016, things are increasingly beginning to stink for Orioles fans at Major League Baseball headquarters. So, what can I say? Fred Wilpon, probably not the best choice for uh, chairman of the Financial Committee for Major League Baseball. But it's Major League Baseball, so the good old boy league continues once again. But baseball is a $9 billion industry. Nine with a B. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And and they're putting this guy in charge of their finances? They are. This guy that got fooled by Bernie Madoff. Yes. This guy that, that got off the Bernie Madoff thing by claiming that he was ignorant. Yes, and is also $700 million in debt. <laughs> You're the numbers guy. Make that make sense for me. I don't think I can do that. So, Jake, it was a very interesting... I'm not sure if we really came to any facts or conclusions during this thing. Um, a lot of rambling, but really, there's nothing really going on in Orioles baseball right now. So hopefully, we brought you some good stories. You know, this is kind of like a surreal thing, you know, never really came to a conclusion and just kind of just rambled about for about 12 episodes. I feel like we just charged up and down the road looking for payphones at Best Buys. Yes, exactly. But it only took us 54 minutes to get here as opposed to the 21 minutes to get to the Woodlawn and Best Buy. So with that... Um, we're actually going to be going back to weekly podcasts for some unknown reason. We will be coming back next Monday, so you don't have to wait for two weeks. Um, Jake, why don't you go ahead and say goodbye? I have nothing else to say. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. We'll see you in one week. We have two weeks until FanFest. See you then. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.